Good morning. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1. So we'll be reading through uh, from verse 6 to verse 12. Remember now Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy from prison. And we talked last week about the situation uh, in Rome at the time. Uh, great persecution. The fire in Rome blamed on them. Paul is rearrested, thrown into prison, from which uh, he will be put to death afterwards. We don't read about his uh, gaining freedom after this. And so this is his last letter, his last written testament, if you will. And he decided that he wasn't going to write to a church, that he wasn't going to write to a group of friends, but he was going to write to one individual, and that would be Timothy, someone he considered his son in the faith. As we read through the letter, we find that Timothy seems to be in need of encouragement and strengthening. Um, people were being dragged away left and right. And no doubt, Timothy was fearful. That's why we have the exhortation about um, not being timid. And we'll get into that further. But uh, we talked last week about uh, motivational um, points that Paul lays forth. He's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He brought a message from God to Timothy. It wasn't just from a man, but it was from God. And oftentimes God speaks through men. But in a very special way, the Apostle Paul was not only speaking to Timothy, but he was speaking to us as well, from God. He was thankful for Timothy's service, thankful for his conversion, and he noted that he had a heritage. His grandmother and his mother passed down uh, their faith, the Word of God, um, and Timothy's faith was genuine. He knew for a fact that Timothy was a true believer, and we don't oftentimes um, know for sure if someone's a true believer. Through the years, I've talked to people that I would never have doubted that they were, weren't a true believer until they came up one, time, one day and confessed that they were never really saved, and that sort of wakes you up. That wakes you up. But wasn't the case with Timothy, a true believer? And so uh, a genuineness to his faith and that doesn't mean that a faith that's genuine doesn't go through discouragement, doesn't go through struggles, perhaps goes through weaknesses, fears. And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. We read in verse 6, And for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity." But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. 
For this reason I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What a message of encouragement. What a startling message, on the other hand, too, what he calls Timothy to do. For this reason, Paul knew that Timothy had a genuine faith. His faith was real. And we read in the scripture what can be done through genuine faith in God and in his word. He was being reminded of something. He's sort of like Peter. We read in 2 Peter 1, 12, and 13, Therefore I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Do you ever ever find yourself in need of a reminder? We are forgetful creatures, aren't we? I mean, we forget. We need to be reminded. And I, I need to be reminded of a lot of things. When I go to work, there's mundane things that I need to be reminded of. When I go home, there's things I need to be reminded of, things that require my attention. Um, some unpleasant things recently. We have an infestation of rats that we're dealing with, and they are smart little boogers. <laughs> um, and I need to be reminded that there's work to do when I get home, you know, openings to close up, uh, attic to clean out, and it's a monumental task. And so I need to be reminded of that because I'd like to forget about it. <laughs> but the reminder that we have here are things that are eternal, things that are, they transcend in importance any mundane consideration that we have here on earth. It's very, very important what we need to be reminded of here in this scripture. And, and I can tell personally from my life, I need that reminder. And as I look around, I see that we all need that reminder. And we don't have to look far into the past to see the reminder that we need. And so we should be encouraged that God reminds us. And what does he remind Timothy? Same thing he reminds us, to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The laying on of my hands, I'm not going to go deep into that. I'm just going to bring up to the point that Paul knew Timothy's gifts. They were known by the presbytery, the, the elders. And so it wasn't in secret. Timothy knew that other people knew. And oftentimes other people know our gifts before we know what they are because they're watching us. If you ask me what my gift is, I'll just tell you what I like to do. <laughs> I like to share the gospel. I like to talk to people about the Lord. Whether I'm gifted or not in that, well, I'll leave that up to you and up to the Lord. I'll do what I like. How do you find what your spiritual gift is? Well, it's hard to find what your spiritual gift is without trying some things, right? We have some young, young men that are exercised to try preaching and teaching. That's good. Exercise in, in sharing the gospel with people. That's good. Exercise to encourage others. That's good. Exercise to help others, that's good. Exercising those gifts, it's more likely that it's going to become evident to those around you what gifts the Lord has given you. So Timothy knew he had gifts. The apostle Paul knew what his gifts were. The elders knew what his gifts were. And he's saying, I'm reminding you to kindle that afresh. Kindle it afresh. Our minds go to a fire. 
And this phrase, kindle afresh, talks about the need to constantly do this. Okay? Have you ever tended a fire? You don't want it to go out, especially if you need it to burn through the night. <laughs> you have to tend to the fire. Okay? And kindle talks about stirring it up, stirring up the coals. If you have coals in a fire, they're going to start cooling off from the outside. They're still hot on the inside, and sometimes that describes Christians. We tend to get cool on the outside when we're not stirred up. Faith's still in there. There's some warmth, but the outside is starting to cool down. And God wants us to remember to kindle it afresh, that faith. Stir it up. And how do we do that? We do that by exercising our spiritual gifts. I am never more encouraged, never more warmed up spiritually than when I get an opportunity to share the gospel. When I find somebody that's really interested. When I'm with others that also share that. And we talk about stories. It kindles afresh that warm faith that God's given us. Um, or, or our faith. So Paul's telling you, Timothy, kindled out afresh the gift of God. So what does that say about Timothy? That says that Timothy was probably a little bit fearful. People were being locked up. You know, it, it says us, well, do the work of an evangelist. So he probably wasn't on the streets proclaiming the gospel at this time because he might get dragged away. And so I think Paul's addressing that. Paul's addressing that. Um, a reminder. Reminders are always good. It says in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, are you a timid person? We like to think the word timid is shyness. And I remember my wife telling our kids when they were little, you know, shy, being shy, that's a sin. <laughs> you know, greet the guests, don't be shy. It's not talking about shyness. This word is talking about being cowardly, okay, fearful. That's the timid this is talking about, okay. He's not given us a spirit of fear. A spirit of cowardice, but of power and love and discipline. We see in this passage the word mentioned twice, probably the most important word in this passage that I see, and that's the word gospel. Gospel. The good news that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. That he was put to death on a cross carrying my sins and your sins in his body. And that after he was put to death, he was raised from the dead, that we might receive newness of life, forgiveness of sins as a free gift. That's a very important message. That's a very important message. And that's what he's left us to do is share the gospel. And I, I believe that's largely what this passage is talking about. Um, it says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. How many times have you had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, but you refrained because you were fearful? I have to confess I've done it, and I can't count how many times I've done it. And I have to confess I'm ashamed of it. God hasn't given us, by the Spirit, we don't have the spirit of timidity, of fear. If I have that fear of man, it's not from God. It's from my flesh. And I'm walking right into Satan's trap. 
fearful. So, it says um, in the New Testament, um, who should we fear? Not him who can kill the body, but him who after the body is killed can cast us into hell. Who should we fear? We should fear God. He's the only one we should fear. And as a child of God, we shouldn't fear him in a I'm afraid of him way, but reverent fear. He's an all-powerful God. If he wants me to share the gospel with someone, I could rest the consequences with him, whatever they are. And the Apostle Paul was an example in that. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. What can happen when we let timidity take over? What can happen? All kinds of things can happen, bad things. Classic example we find in Matthew 26. So let's turn there. We're going to read about a person. You'll remember the story, but we'll go there anyway and read it. That for a moment, he feared. He had the fear of man. It was Peter. Verse 69, now Peter was sitting outside. And this is after the Lord was arrested. And he was beaten. And he was dishonored. And all the disciples fled. They were all fearful. And perhaps Peter was a little bit less fearful than the other disciples because he followed. But I think where he went wrong, he followed at a distance. And when we follow at a distance, we're subject to failure through fear. It says, Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a certain servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I, do know, I don't know what you're talking about. I do not know what you're talking about. And he said it before all of them. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to, to those who were there, This man was with Jesus the Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you two are one of them, for the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear with an oath. I do not know the man. And immediately a cock crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Fear of man will cause you to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we have an opportunity to witness, and when God places us there for that reason and we refrain, it's usually because of the fear of man. And are we owning the Lord Jesus or are we denying him? Maybe not so outwardly and strongly as Peter did here, but we are denying him, the one that bought us, the one we should stand up for, the one we should stand up and own. So this is Peter's failure, but fortunately the Lord doesn't leave us in a failure, and that's encouragement, because even when we fear the Lord, He has a way of bringing us back to be restored and useful in His hands. And that's why I'm encouraged by the fact that the Lord included this in His Word. Because if Peter can deny the Lord after what he knew, and after spending all that time in the presence of the Lord because of fear, and we see what happens, then there's hope for me when I also fail the Lord. Because he wants to restore us and use us. It was the, the scene was the Sea of Tiberias in John chapter 21. And 
Simon Peter says, said to them, said to all the other disciples, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. You know, I'm going fishing. We see that really in the area of the gospel, he's ineffective. He's going fishing. He's not going fishing for men. He's going back for fishing for fish. That's what he did before the Lord met him. So as far as the gospel is concerned, he's useless while he's ashamed of the Lord, while he was fear, filled with a fear of man, while he was timid. Useless for the Lord when you're timid, when you're afraid, when you're afraid to speak out. The Lord can't use you to share the gospel. Do you think people can't tell when you're afraid? You know, they say that about dogs. A dog can sense when you are afraid of them. You think people can't? They can tell if you're ashamed to speak out about the Lord, and they can tell when you're confident. It's written all over you. Body language, the way you speak, the tone of your voice, the way you carry yourself, they know it. And Peter, up till this point, was ineffective in regards to the gospel because he was ashamed of the Lord. He denied him. But the Lord wasn't done with him. All the rest of them went out with Peter, and they went in the boat, and they fished all night, and they caught nothing. Nothing. So when they had finished breakfast, now Jesus was on the shore, and he said, cast the the net on the side of the boat. They did, and they had a haul they couldn't even pull in. So we get down to verse 15 in John 21. So when they had finished breakfast, now Jesus served them breakfast, which is nice. Said to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Of course, that's what he said. They can all deny you, but I won't. I'll go to death with you. Have you ever said that? I'll die for the Lord Jesus. Be careful before you say that. Because if you say that, he might just show, how, show you how little it takes to get you to deny him. We like to think we, we would. And Peter, I'm sure he liked to think that he would. But the Lord put him to the test or allowed him to be put to the test. And he failed. But the Lord, just like he denied him three times, the Lord gave him three opportunities to affirm his love for him. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon Peter, or Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Without getting into the different words for love here, three denials, three affirmations. Three denials in shame, three affirmations to claim the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not want to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So Peter had great desire to stand up for the Lord. They can all deny you, but I'm not going to deny you. But he did. He denied him three times. So the Lord got him, helped him to see his own weakness. But the Lord really restored him. Restored him to himself. 
And he specifically speaks about how far that restoration is going to go. You're going to not only not be ashamed of me, but you're going to be filled with power, with courage, and boldness, even to the point where you're going to give your life for me. What a change. He had an opportunity to stand with the Lord in his suffering, and he denied him. And the Lord restored him and says, okay, now you'll be filled with the power of God. Now you'll be effective for the gospel. Well, how effective was he after that? Because we want to take a lesson from it. Um, we read in Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. That's a lot different than the man that was cowering off by the side, denying the Lord to women that walked up to him. Men of Israel, verse 22, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Now he's accusing them. Talk about boldness. Talk about power. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Verse 32, This Jesus God raised up to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. There's the power of God. And he said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So those who had received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about how many? Three thousand souls. What a difference. There's a difference between being timid and being bold. Denying and affirming. That's the power of God. That doesn't reside within us. But we need to learn the lesson. If we're ashamed of the Lord, this can't happen. This won't happen. You know, we pray for souls to get saved. But when the opportunity to tell people about the Lord, to share the gospel presents itself, we have all kinds of excuses. We really do. I know. I'm an expert excuses at excuses. Oh, I'll be working with this person for a long time, so I have a long time to witness to them. Have you ever made a goal to witness to somebody and they died before you got a chance to do it? I have. Who was that prompting me to go share Christ with that person? It was the Lord. And what was I doing? Denying him. And what happened? person died. I'm going to have to answer for that. And I compare that with the times where the Lord has overcome my reluctance. 
and I share the gospel. And I might just be planting a seed. It might just be one little link in their salvation, and I don't know what happens after that. But you know how good I feel afterwards? I feel so good. It's a pleasure to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for them. Tell me the old, old story. <laughs> it warms my heart and encourages me, and I love to do it. But too many times I've shrunk back, back in shame. Perhaps it's the fear of rejection. Sometimes I fear, well, they're not really interested. I'll wait till there's an opportunity where they, you know, maybe I'll get them along. <laughs> maybe the Lord wants you to speak about, about him to, with everybody at once. You know, anytime we shrink back in shame and fear, we cannot make inroads with the gospel. So we could take a lesson from Peter. Do we want to see 3,000 souls saved in a day? Well, I'd love to see that. I'd <laughs> love to see one, two, three. So we need to cast out timidity. Okay. Power. Where does the power come from? It's the power of God, it says in verse 8. Gospel is the power of God. What changes lives? What saves souls? You would, if, if, if you knew anybody that I knew before I got saved, they would put all the money they had on a bet they would, that you would never see me up behind a pulpit talking about the Lord. I guarantee you, anybody that knew me would put serious money on that bet, and they would lose. Why? Because of the power of God. The gospel changed lives, changes lives. And you know what? The world needs to see those changed lives. They want to see that power of God. They want to see that boldness. They want to see people stand up. You know what? There's people that are, going to, that are standing up right now and killing people for what they believe, and it's a lie. Can I stand up and tell people about Jesus, and it's the truth? If I don't have that kind of courage that they have and more, do you think they're going to believe that I believe the message? People see that fear and timidity, and we shouldn't show it to them. We shouldn't even have it. The power of God, but it's not, it's not like a forced power like some of the extremists we see on the news. It's coupled with love. Our motivation for sharing the gospel should, first of all, be out of love for our Savior, out of appreciation for what he's done, but should also be out of love for our neighbor, our neighbor. And some people, it seems like, are hard to love. I'm probably at the top of the list, <laughs> but other people... They seem easy to love. The Lord loves them all. And we should learn to love them all too. And we show our love. How? By sharing the gospel with them. I've talked to people that they don't want to hear about God at all. At all. And I see they're going through a difficulty and I say, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? Well, yeah, thank you. <laughs> it melts them, you know. And that's an opportunity that perhaps opens up to share the gospel with them. It's power coupled with love. And discipline. Discipline. How disciplined are we in sharing the gospel? Do we make it a goal to pray every day? Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel today. Give me a divine appointment today. Please, Lord, that you might be glorified. And then look for it. I've done it. I've looked for it. And I've seen it happen. Now, I don't, don't get me wrong. I haven't done it every day. I've failed more times than not. But it's sort of like when I lose something. You know, it's, it's, this is incredible. Santa and I have this experience. Have you ever lost anything? Misplaced something? I mean, and it could be like three minutes ago. What happened? Did my brain go dead or something? And, and I need to find it. And then we remember, Lord, help me to find it, please. 
And within like a couple of minutes, I find it. It's never failed. Never failed. And, and, I, and I'm sure I, I can lose some things that are meant to be lost forever, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> At least I can't remember it, but it's, it's remarkable. <laughs> so if we pray for a divine appointment, we should expect to get one and look for it. You know, and, and I'm not talking about a forced divine appointment. I pray also, Lord, give me a divine appointment and grant there be a smooth transition. Something that's not going to be awkward, like, so, you going to hell? <laughs> that will not go over well. So the Lord trains us to perceive moments, you know. Um, probably thing that I say the most, because we talk about safety, training people get killed, and I often say, well, it doesn't matter to me because I know where I'm going, you know. And, and people just, they're used to hearing that. They're used to hearing me say, yeah, um, I'm preaching this Sunday. Uh, not shy about your faith, you know. We're going to talk about that a little later. How do you overcome fear? Okay, it says, power, love, and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner. Now, Paul was captured, thrown into a dungeon, chained up. You know, his enemies seemed like they were getting the upper hand, talking bad about him. And Paul basically said, listen, I'm not a prisoner of Rome here. I'm not here because I've done anything wrong. I'm here because I've done everything right. And I consider myself a prisoner of the Lord because I'm doing his will. Day by day, I'm seeking his will. And this is where he's brought me. Don't be sorry for me. Don't be ashamed of me. Matter of fact, later on, he goes even beyond that. He says, on the contrary, join me. Now, how crazy is that? You're in a prison, you're in a dungeon, you're in chains, and you say, come join you? Well, I don't know about that. And so, Timothy, think why I'm here. I'm here to God's glory. Don't you want God to be glorified in your life? Then you've got to get over your fear. You've got to let the power of God take hold of you and develop some courage. Develop some courage. The word, when, when it says, um, do not be ashamed, there's one time that phrase is translated into another word. The word's called shrink. It says, and now in verse, 1 John 2, 28, actually the root word, it, 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 be ashamed is two words. One of the, the root word is, is the word shrink. It's used one time in shrink as shrink, and it says, and now little children, 1 John 2, 28, abide in him, abide in him. It says in the New Testament, if we don't abide in him, we can't bear fruit. So it says, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Get that? If we're ashamed of him now, when he returns, we're going to want to shrink away. Because we're going to be ashamed. Ashamed of him? No, ashamed of ourselves that we are ashamed of him. So we need to get over this timidity, get over this fear, this cowardliness, and develop some courage. God's given it to us. It's his power. We just need to lay hold of it. It says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner. He's the Lord's prisoner. But join with me in his suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. According to What's the most important thing you can do here on earth? What's something you can do that 
nobody that you know that's unsaved can do. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. That's why he left us here. That's our mission. You know, growing to be more Christ-like, that just adds to our effectiveness in the gospel. But God is in the business of saving souls, and he's in the business of using you and I. That's the whole purpose for us being left here. If we're negligent in that sole purpose, then why are we here? It's a waste. We shouldn't be here. That's what he has us here for. And of course we have to earn a living, go to school, clean the yard, all these things. But in every one of those things, God brings us into proximity with those that don't know him. And so he's even built an arena in which we have our circle of friends that he's placed us in so we can meet these people with the gospel, that we can take the gospel to them. Everything else is not important compared to that. Everything else is not important. doesn't matter what job I have. doesn't matter where I live. doesn't matter if I go to school or don't go to school. First thought I had when I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, very first thought, I was studying uh, lower division engineering at Chabot. Soon as, as soon as I came to the Lord, I go, I don't have to finish school. And it wasn't because I didn't want to finish school. I liked learning. I love learning, especially the sciences, physics and math and chemistry. You know what I'm talking about, engineer stuff. But I don't have to. Why? Because that pales in comparison. I'm going to heaven. I can die and go right now. It'd be the best thing that can happen to me. And then I was sort of brought down a few notches. Yeah, well, then who, how, how would you come to know the Lord if that's what happened to me? That's what Rick said. I go, oh, that's right. The Lord's got a purpose for me here. And that's to tell other people the gospel. You know, um, a verse that speaks to this for me, or a series of verses, is in Luke 9, 57 through 60. They were going along the road. Someone said to the Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. It's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Wherever you go, I'll follow you. Of course, he didn't really know what he was talking about. And the Lord Jesus Christ said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Really? You want to follow me? You don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're saying. Not going to be easy. Anybody tell you the Christian life is going to be easy? They were lying to you. Not going to be easy. But who are we following? We're following our Creator, our Lord, our Master, our Savior. He doesn't ask us to go down any more difficult road than he's gone down. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. You see, unsaved people, they can do all that stuff we do. But there's one thing they can't do. Share Jesus Christ with the lost because they don't know him and they don't know the message. That's something they can't do. And the Lord's saying, let them do what they can do. You do what only you can do. Let that be your priority in life. Don't shrink away from it. Don't be ashamed of me. I, I, I want to share an illustration with you that um, helped me a lot. I mean, fear. How many people don't know fear? We all know fear. And everybody's got their own specific fear. Um, how do you get over fear? Before I was saved, I made, my, made it my business to get over my fears. And, and, and uh, 
An illustration I can think of is I was a diver. I was a springboard diver uh, in high school and college, all American in college, top 12 in the country on one meter and three meter. And there's three different leagues. It wasn't the biggest league, wasn't the best league. There was two college leagues and a junior college league. But, but in diving, you can get hurt, but not seriously. See, if you land on your stomach or your back, as long as you're not really, really, really up high, it's going to like somebody, somebody slapped you with a belt. I mean, really, really hard. But it's not going to break any bones. You're landing on water. Okay? So, so here's a good exercise in getting over fears. Um, they had an expression that they put a little sign at the top of the three-meter diving board. It said, no pain, no gain. And that's the first time I ever heard that. I've heard it used a lot of times since in a lot of different ways, but back then that was original. No pain, no gain. And that means that if you want to get to be a good diver, it's going to be painful. Because when you learn new dives, you don't quite know when you're doing somersaults when to open. And usually you open at the wrong time uh, for a number of times before you get it right. So it's painful. So if you, if you, don't, if you can't put up with the pain, diving's not for you, at least not to start off learning. Right? So um, dives would be fearful when you, start, when you learn a new dive. I, I, when I dove at Chabot, I had this coach. His name was Gordon Peake. This man was a devout Christian. I don't know how many times he tried to witness it to me, and I don't even remember what he said, but I knew he was trying to witness to me. <laughs> he would witness to my friend Larry Barnes. He's dead now um, in a bus because we would, as the top high school divers, we would get to go with the college on some of their diving meets, and we get to practice with them. Um, and he was always trying to witness to Larry, my friend. And I was always sitting over here listening to him. Can't remember anything he said, but I knew he was talking about God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know for a fact that he's saved. But anyway, um, he always wanted us to progress in our diving. And so I knew that he was a good um, judge of my capabilities. And I wanted to honor him. And I didn't do this to anybody else. I only did it one time. But I asked him, I said, hey, Mr. Pete, can I do a forward three and a half off the one meter board? I said, am I capable of that? He goes, yeah, you are. Okay, will you coach me through it? He's okay. And so he double bounced me, which means he walked behind me. And when I took my last spring on the diving board, he went down. So it really shot me way up in the air. And I put myself into a spin and he called me out of the spin and I made it into the water with no pain. I wanted to honor him. He knew my capabilities, and what I did was saying, I trust your evaluation of me. I'm willing to suffer pain to show that I want to honor you. And that's what we do with the Lord. You know, we want to honor him. Lord, am I capable? Yes. Then help me do it. I don't care if it hurts. I don't care if it kills me. I want you to be honored. And that's what Paul wanted for Timothy, the Lord to be honored. The Lord's not honored when we're fearful. What can man do to us? There are times where, I mean, in diving, and, and here's, here's a parallel that I see. Um, there are times where on a new dive, climb up to three-meter board, and this is going to be a reverse two-and-a-half, and you stand there. You're going through your mind, everything you have to do. Now, there's three, there's three parts of a dive. There's the approach, where you have your, 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 your steps 
leading up to a, a bounce and then a, another bounce. That's your approach. Then your execution and then your entry. Okay, so there's three parts. So you're thinking it through, approach, okay, execution. And this is a brand new dive, and you're like this. Ten minutes later, somebody's like, come on! You know, the guys are down in the pool. Let's go, you know? And, and you're just frozen. You know, you're going backwards, so you can hit your head on the board. I mean, you have all these things going in your mind. You're just frozen with fear, you know? And uh, that can happen, too, when we share the gospel. We're frozen with fear. What do I start? What do I say? What if they do this? What if they do that? <laughs> and somebody's up in heaven. I can, I can see them say, come on, you know? <laughs> Not that I believe they can see us from heaven, but you know what I mean. So you can be frozen when you learn a new diet. So what did I learn? Just start walking. <laughs> start that approach. You know, once you start that approach, you're committed. Do the best you can at that point. You know, just start. You know, you want to share Christ with someone? Just start. Say something. You know? You know, that's the first part is the approach. You start down that board and you take a bounce. Once you're in the air, there's an execution that has to be done. <laughs> you're committed at that point. So you just start, be it with a question be it with a, a verse, it may just start a conversation, and there's your execution. And that's when you get into the gospel. Okay, so sometimes you just have to do it. Go. <laughs> there are times where on a particularly hard dive, you're up there frozen so much, somebody says, ah, oh, just do a somersault. Do something easier. Okay. Try something easier. Invite them over for dinner. Hey, you know, I see you. I see you at work all the time. Can you come over for dinner? Okay, that's an easy one. Yeah, sure. Let's mark a date. Okay, there's the approach. Execution comes later. Okay, so sometimes that helps you get over the fear. Um, when I learned a new dive, anybody learns a new dive, we had a saying, you got to do that dive 100 times before you're comfortable with it. 100 times. So my dives off the three-meter board were a forward three-and-a-half, forward two-and-a-half pike, a reverse two-and-a-half, Walking forward, throwing it back. Inward two and a half, facing the board and throwing yourself back for spinning this way. And a triple twisting one and a half. Every one of those dives had to be practiced at least 100 times before you're comfortable with it. 100 times. And so that takes discipline, doesn't it? And then, after you get it down 100 times, you have to do it in different environments. Inward two and a half. Outdoors versus indoors, like on an indoor pool. Totally different. You can nail it outdoors. You get indoors and you're all disoriented. You can't tell where the pole is to open. <laughs> oh, this is different. Yeah, better practice. So different environments. Um, different boards. There's different boards. There's maxi-flex boards. They're, they're thick in the middle, narrow on the ends. There's duraflex boards. There's thin on the point, fat on the back. There's different standards that they're on. Fulcrum, move the fulcrum. So you've got to practice where your settings are depending on what board you use. Okay? Different weather. I've been diving in the rain, being judged in the rain. They're not going to stop a diving meet just because it's raining. You're going to get wet anyway. So you throw yourself into somersault, you might slip out of it. So you got to practice. So it's, it's all about practicing, practicing, practicing. It's the same way with the gospel. If you're in practice sharing the gospel, you're going to be confident. Confident. If you're out of practice, you're not. You're going to be fearful of not landing it correctly. <laughs> so the more you share the gospel, the more you bring up spiritual things with people, the more you show that spiritual interest in someone and bring out the word of God, the more comfortable you're going to be doing it. 
And people perceive how comfortable you are sharing the gospel. They perceive if you're nervous. They perceive if you sound like, hey, you're just trying to sell me a bill of goods here. You, what do you want? You know, they perceive all those things. It's going to take practice. And with practice, you get comfortable. But even when you get comfortable sharing the gospel, there's still the time I can remember when I got a forward two-and-a-half pike, uh, two pike off the three-meter board. And in my high school, you wore black diving suits, and they're nice, thick canvas black. And they're not like Speedos, you know. They're sort of longer, you know. And I really liked them. But the real prize was the white suit. You know, if you had a white suit as a diver, you were the elite. And you could only get that white suit if you had a certain amount of dives. And one of them was the two-and-a-half pike. And I got it. And I got my white suit. And I was proud of it, right? And then all of a sudden, I, like, I hit a wall. There came a time where I was petrified of the dive. I think I wiped out a couple of times, and I'm just like, uh-uh. My body said, nah-uh. <laughs> and so my coach was trying to, come on, you've done this lots of times. Uh, you know, and he's just frozen on the board until you do something else. And I don't know what it was, but it's just like I, I hit this barrier that I couldn't get past. All right? Now, this doesn't have a parallel spiritual, but I'll tell you anyway. So my, my coach says, we're going to take a white, side, white suit away from you if you can't continue doing that dive. You know, that had me so fearful. That I was so fearful of that. I said, you can have the white suit. I'm not doing that dive. <laughs> so I didn't quite, I was going to give it up in a couple weeks. And then there was this guy that I really didn't like. And he was always, you know, in my face. And he got the forward two and a half. And he got his white suit. And I thought, that does it. <laughs> I, w I went to the Hayward Plunge, and I practiced it, and then I, and then I got over that fear. You know, it was, that's what I needed, to see somebody else doing it. What did he do that I didn't do? He got over that fear. And if he can get over that fear, I'm a better diver than him. Why can't I? I can. It's all up here, you know. And so think about that. You know, you see children sharing the gospel, don't you? They're not afraid. <laughs> Children are great. They're not afraid of anything, it seems like, sometimes. Um, you see other people, they get over their fear sharing the gospel, and they walk away thrilled and excited with stories to tell to encourage other people to be thrilled and excited that encourages them to go out and share the gospel. It's a snowball effect. So whatever it takes to motivate you, get over your fear. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, spirit of cowardice, spirit of fearfulness, but of power and love and discipline. And so we read, I just finished reading this, um, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. The Lord called us not just for salvation. He has a calling, a purpose for our life. You know, it'd be nice and wonderful if so, okay, you're going to heaven, just relax and wait till your ride shows up. No, he's got something for us to do, to be busy doing. It's a holy calling. We're set apart. Nobody else can do what we can do. Share the gospel. See souls saved through the power of God. And it's not according to our works, but it's according to his purpose and grace. He's given us as a gift, an opportunity to co-labor with him. And this is his plan from all eternity, to use those that have been rescued from sin, 
from the penalty of from sin, from a destiny in hell, to be planted in the family of God. To use these individuals to reach the lost. How did you get saved? <laughs> I got saved through someone sharing the gospel with me. Someone that knew the Lord. They didn't always know the Lord. They came to know the Lord. The used, Lord used that person in my life. He wants to use me in someone else's life, them in someone else's life. That's what God has chosen as the way to spread the gospel message. But now has been revealed in the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Light, immortality, death is cast away. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. And Paul was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. What were you appointed to do? I know what you were appointed to do. You know what apostle means, right? Sent one. So you were appointed to preach, to teach, and to be sent out. We have the same responsibilities. We don't have apostolic authority, but we are apostles in the sense that we're sent. God sends us out for that purpose, to preach the gospel, to teach the truth. The question is, are we doing this? It says, for this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. That's exactly, Paul finished the course. He ran the race, and this was his focus. And he's saying, Timothy, this needs to be your focus. As a matter of fact, this should be the focus of every Christian. For I know who I have believed. He's not ashamed because he knows whom I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Who have you believed in? The Lord Jesus Christ? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? He's God, the maker of all things. You can't trust him with your life, with your eternity, with your everyday experience sharing the gospel? I think we can. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for the Apostle Paul, the example that he gives us, even in his closing Hours of, in the closing hours of his life, how he encourages Timothy and encourages us to focus and kindle afresh the gift of God you've given us. Opportunities to share the gospel. We pray that we would be faithful, not shrink back in fear. We pray that we might demonstrate the power and the love of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.